Good morning, everyone. All right. Are you excited as I am to start the book of Philippians? Let's do this. Open your Bible to Philippians chapter 1. Today we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18. And uh, over the course of seven weeks, just as Johnny said, we're going to be studying this book together uh, to the end. And um, in studying it on Sunday, we're also gathering during the week in home groups. And you know, our, our heart for at the table home groups is to live out the gospel together in community. And we really are eager for what God's going to do through this season. Um, by the way, I, I just heard that the first week's first week of it was off the charts if you were there. So, um, well, we've got a good scripture to look at today. I can't wait to get into it. So let's start off by looking at the greeting of the letter found in verses one and two. So Philippians chapter one, verse one and two, we read this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a lot that can be said just from the the greeting of this letter. First, you have the writer of the letter. That would be Paul with Timothy. And Paul and Timothy together were, were a dynamic duo, right? There was a younger pastor with an older pastor working side by side together in the gospel. And we could talk a while about the relationship that existed between Paul and Timothy and all the things that we can learn about their relationship. Uh, Primarily, we learn about uh, the importance of discipleship in the church. We also learn things like how to raise up church leadership. We've got the pastoral epistles uh, to teach us that. But, you know, Paul was an apostle, and he was a missionary who planted the church in Philippi. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. He had grown up with a godly mother and grandmother, and had linked arms with Paul in going and doing all those missionary journeys, and he was his co-worker in the gospel. But notice how Paul and Timothy introduced themselves. It says they are servants of Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of other titles that these guys could have used to refer to themselves, apostle, pastor, preacher, whatever it is, but, it, but they chose to use this great title of servants of Christ. And You know, we think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 11, where he said, the greatest among you shall be your servants. And so Paul and Timothy would have been glad to take that title, servants of Christ. And that's what they were. You know, they they had been called by God to be leaders in the church, and yet they were being called into humble service. And they were called to follow the way of the greatest leader of all time who has ever lived. And you guys know who that is, right? Jesus Christ. And Jesus referred to himself in this way as a servant of all. But I want us to notice here, just in these first verses, a few roles that are mentioned there in verse 1. Did you see them? Look at those words in verse 1 that says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So that would be anyone who was a follower of Jesus living in the city of Philippi at that time. And and listen, being a saint has nothing to do with achieving a certain level of good works. 
It's often been wrongly taught and understood that way. But being a saint has everything to do with being in Jesus Christ. Notice how many times even Jesus is mentioned in the greeting. We are saints because we are in Christ. It is our identity that we find in him when we've come to him through faith, having received his grace. So if you have been saved and set apart by Jesus because you've believed in Jesus, even if that's something that just happened to you recently, guess what? You are a saint. Get used to it. A lot of times we don't think of ourselves as a saint, and we think that we've got to come to some sort of level of achievement. Once I've become holy enough, once I've become good enough, once I've become a really, really good Christian, then you can call me a saint. No, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, having simply received God's grace, that is what you are. You're a saint. So be what you are in Jesus. We are who we are because of who Jesus is not because of who we were. Now, in the church, we know that God has also appointed for there to be leadership in the church. And remember, leaders in the church, like Paul and Timothy, are simply called to be servants of Christ. Therefore, some saints in God's church are called to serve all the saints, and it's not necessarily even by works per se that they're called into that role. It is, again, by God's grace that he appoints for there to be leaders in the church. And Paul mentions here two roles of leadership in the church. Did you see there in verse 1 what it says? To all the saints in Christ Jesus with the overseers and deacons. Now, in this church, we have overseers. Uh, that word is synonymous in the New Testament with words like pastor or elder. Here in our church, we typically will use those words, pastor or elder, in referring to the leadership of our church, although those words can just be simply used interchangeably. So just so I'm not confusing anyone, as I continue to explain to you what I'm about to say, I'm just going to be using the word elder, okay? So since this church started, Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes has had six elders that have faithfully served this church body with the responsibility of overseeing. We've got right back there in the corner, Pastor Ben, who leads worship. We've got right over here, Pastor Rob, who uh, heads up our discipleship ministry, men's ministry, everything ministry, fantastic teacher of God's word. Usually sitting over here to the right is Pastor Ben Kai. Um, and uh, he's traveling right now, but he's uh, one of our elders. And then uh, myself, that would be four local elders that serve this church body with that overseeing responsibility. But there's two others. We've had, since the beginning of this church, Pastor Tommy Schneider and Pastor Brett Schallerberger, who are from Santa Barbara, which is the church, Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara, that sent me and my family down to plant this church a little over two years ago. Well, the Lord has greatly used all of these elders in the work that's happened here in this church from the very beginning, but there is a change coming, okay? I know that everybody's like, okay, change in church always a little bit like, hold under your seat. Um, but there's a change coming today, and um, one of those changes is that two of our elders, 
Tommy and Brett from Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara, are going to be stepping back from serving in an official capacity as elders of this church. And you're like, I don't even know those guys, right? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I just want you to know that there is an entire Calvary Chapel church in Santa Barbara that loves this church and prays for us all the time. And those two men, Tommy and Brett, have faithfully served with their wisdom and experience from the very beginning, and we will forever be deeply connected to that church and to those men. And so that's awesome. Now, with that change, we also really believe that the church should have a plurality of elders, meaning that there's wisdom in having multiple overseers for the work of ministry that happens in the church. And so after some months of prayer and even, I would say, years of preparation, we're excited to announce that we have a new elder who is going to be serving this church body. And so you know that since I spent all this time on verse 1, and we're still talking about leadership in the church, that we have a really big and important announcement to make today. And so I would like to have Steve Heffernan please come up, because today... Today I want to let you know that this is your newest pastor, elder, shepherd, overseer, uh, Steve Heffernan, who's going to be serving this church body. Amen? Awesome. Well, I just want to say something here, and this is a very real truth. You know, we are not making Steve an elder. We're not making him a pastor. We are simply recognizing something that he is already doing. He has, from the very beginning of this church, helped to oversee and just keep watch over the flock of God here. He is uh, my good friend, and I really wouldn't know even Rob and Ben and Benkai without this man. You know, he is the guy who introduced me to these guys, and so from the very beginning, uh, Robin and Steve have just been a faithful part of this church, um, just serving, truly servants of Christ, and we love them and are excited uh, to see Steve in this role. So Pastor Rob, um, we're going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 3. These are the character qualifications of an overseer in the church, and listen carefully because I think as you listen, you're going to see that Steve uh, definitely meets these qualifications. So Pastor Rob? Yeah, thanks, Daniel. So before I read, let me just share. I I still have a text message from July 1, 2020 that Steve sent to Daniel and I to introduce us that said something along these lines of, uh, Daniel, Rob, you're both pastors. You both both like to serve. You need to meet. And that's kind of how the church got started. So we we thank you so much for that. All right, let me read from God's word, 1 Timothy 3, uh, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Let me stop there. You all know Steve's wife, Robin, uh, heads up our our greeting team in the mornings. And, you know, um, Proverbs 31 uh, talks about what a godly wife looks like. And verse 25 says that because of her work, her husband is able to sit in the gates with the elders. And so Mm -hmm. Steve's up here as well because of Robin. So we want to give thanks to her. And then continuing, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, 
not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Yeah, amen. Amen. And so these are, uh, these are all qualities, and notice how much of it has to do with the character of a person, and this is what we have seen in Steve, and we want to uh, know that you have seen this as well. And so what we're going to be doing is from this Sunday until next Sunday, so a week, we are going to have uh, Steve go through a, a period of testing, really, um, which is an opportunity for you to come to the elders of this church and to give uh, your support of Steve Heffernan becoming an elder. Uh, but this is an opportunity where if you have seen something with uh, Steve's character that would disqualify him from being an elder, we would want to know about that. Um, just remember that we're not saying, you know, Steve's got bad coffee breath every Sunday morning. I really don't think he should be an elder, you know. These are, uh, these are serious things that we would, we would hear about, and uh, the Bible says that not to bring an accusation against an elder, except by multiple witnesses. So um, this is the process that we're going to go through over the next week, and uh, please, even just for service hearing, all the wonderful uh, praise and support we got for this man and his character and conduct is amazing. So uh, please do that. And then next Sunday, um, we'll be, be bringing Steve and his wife, Robin, and we're going to be anointing Steve with oil and praying over him and commissioning him as the newest elder uh, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Palos Verdes. Amen? Amen. Steve, you got anything you want to share with the, the church? <laughs> Tell them about Jesus. Um, as Rob was reading that passage at the beginning, it talks about aspiring. And I don't want any of you to think, I was like, hey, Rob, you know, you need another elder? Or Daniel, let's go have a meal. I want to be an elder. No, they approached me, and I didn't, my instinct was like, yes. But as they talked about my wife, she was like, you should pray about this. And I was like, you're absolutely right. And I should talk with other people about what being an elder is like. And so it wasn't a quick decision. We waited was... real patiently for him to say yes. It took, <laughs> yeah. some, it took months of prayer and it conversation. And... So just really wanted yes. a confirmation. So, Amen. Yep. Pastor Ben, can you pray for Steve? Church, please join me in uh, praying for Steve. Lord, Father God, we thank you so much um, that you continue to raise up uh, workers and leaders and and just asking us to, uh, to serve in whatever capacity you ask. And Father God, we thank you so much for our brother Steve. And as we move into um, seeking to make him an elder, Lord, we know that it is simply a confirmation of the work that he does day in, day out, both in front and behind the scenes. And Father God, we're so grateful for people like him and for all the others, Lord, in our congregation who so faithfully give to this body. And Lord, we know that you will... Um, Bless this decision, Father God, and, and Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the deliberation and the patience and, and just the uh, consideration of all parties concerned, Lord, in, in coming to this point. And, and Father God, we pray that you would continue to give us wisdom as leaders um, and as we uh, seek to affirm this decision, Father God, continue to be our wisdom, continue to be our strength, and may we look to you um, for, for the ultimate direction, God. We love you and thank you, Lord, and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Exciting. You guys excited? Okay. So you want to join us next Sunday as we uh, pray for Steve and commission him into that, into that great role. So I told you there's a lot to talk about in the uh, greeting of this letter. So um, you see there also mentioned in verse 1, the deacons. That's another leadership role in the church. And um, I'd like to now have all the deacons come forward. No, just kidding. So, but the deacons literally means from the Greek word dikonos means those who serve tables, the table servers. And you wonder who those people are, the servant leaders of our church who are faithfully doing the work of caring and also um, just leading the, the church body. So, so thankful for every, um, every person who leads by the grace of God in this church. And um, it's amazing. So, the qualifications for all these roles, as, as Rob laid out, are in uh, First Timothy 3. Titus also mentions them. But in all these leadership roles, one of the most important things that you want to look for is that these would be people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit. Because the church cannot be healthy without leaders who are humble and filled with the Holy Spirit, leadership coming from the overseers, leadership coming from the deacons. And remember that leaders in the church can be recognized very simply by this. They will be servants of Jesus Christ. That is what we want to see. So to everyone, all the saints, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the church can't function without the grace of God and the peace of God. And so may God's grace and peace abound more and more in this church body. Amen? Amen. Just as it did in the church of Philippi. So let's read verses 3 through 5 now, where Paul says... I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And just as I can remember how this church was started in some of those first days of God moving in the summer of 2020 to begin this church, uh, which by the way is nothing short of miraculous. Paul could remember how the church in Philippi started, and we could read about that in Acts chapter 16. And I'll just kind of run through that story real briefly for you. Paul had received a vision. There was this man who was speaking in the vision and saying to come to Macedonia. And being led by the Spirit, Paul went to that region with the gospel. And so Philippi was the most prominent city of that region of Macedonia. And Paul went there, but on the first Saturday, he decided to go to the local hangout spot, which was the river. And there at the river, he found some women who were praying, and one of the women was this, this gal named Lydia, and she was a seller of purple, meaning that she sold these purple dyes that were very expensive, and so she would have been a prominent, wealthy woman in that city, a merchant. And God opened her heart to the message of the gospel, and right there in that river, she was baptized. And then she persuaded Paul to stay in Philippi so that he could preach the kingdom of God to the people of that city. 
And so while Paul was going about teaching and preaching, there was this young girl who was following closely behind the pack. And, and she was saying some really nice things about Paul, saying that he was a servant of the Most High God, a servant of Christ. And yet this girl had a spirit of divination. She had been working for some owners in Philippi, uh, fortune-telling and selling idols, and she had, been, uh, she had a, an unclean spirit within her. And so Paul, knowing the source of those words, it says that he was greatly annoyed, and he turned around and he cast a demon out of this girl. Well, that stirred up quite a scene because that girl made a lot of money for her owners through fortune-telling, but now that she's a child of God... She wasn't going to be doing that anymore. And so these owners have Paul and Silas arrested, and they beat them severely and then put them in prison. They went into a Philippian jail where they were bound in stocks, and they were bleeding in these stocks, stretched out. And yet Paul and Silas, it says that through the night they sang worship to the Lord. Well, in the middle of the night, God decided that he was going to break out his servants from jail. And so he sends an earthquake, which opens the prison doors. And when that happened, there was a jailer who had the responsibility of keeping watch, making sure no one escaped. And there was a law there that if you were a jailer and people got out on your watch, it was on you. You were going to die. And so the jailer was about to commit suicide. But Paul and Silas hadn't left the jail, and they spoke out and stopped the man from falling on his sword. And then the man in that moment, just struck by these two men and how they'd been seeing worship all night after being beaten and how God broke them out of jail, he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul gives them the simple gospel. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. So right there, the man was saved. He took Paul and Silas to his home and, and, and cared for their wounds. And then it says that his whole household came to know Jesus. And so before being um, let out of prison, Paul and Silas um, are met by the civil leaders there. And they say, you got to leave town. But Paul, um, Paul confronted them because they, uh, they had beaten Paul and Silas, even though Paul was a Roman citizen. That's a big no-no. And so before leaving Philippi, Paul goes around and gathers up all these new believers who just recently come to Christ, and he connects them. You have a wealthy woman, a delivered slave girl, a jailer, and all their households, and together they become the church in Philippi. And that's how this church started. Don't you love how church, churches start? And hearing all the testimonies of how people come from all different kinds of backgrounds and stories, and yet we all come together as one in Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Now you could say, see why Paul would say, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Paul starts off by saying that he prays for the church all the time. He says, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy. You know, the church in Philippi brought a lot of joy into Paul's heart. And in fact, joy will be a constant theme throughout this entire book. And, and many have summed up the book of Philippians with that one word, joy. 
So be ready for us over these next seven weeks to be talking a lot about that. What is joy? Where does it come from? How do we keep it? All of these things. But can I show you today where joy begins? We see where joy begins in the first words of the letter in verse 3, where it says, I thank my God. You could say that if the entire book of Philippians is a book about joy, then joy flows from that one heart attitude of being thankful to God. Thankfulness unlocks the life of joy. And joy begins with thanking God. Thanking God for who he is and for what he's done. Thanking him for the people that God has put into your life. And and do you know, by the way, where Paul is when he wrote this letter? He was imprisoned. He was under a two-year house arrest in Rome, in lockdown. But no one could arrest his joy, right? Because his joy was found in thankfulness to God. And we'll see later in the book, that Paul learned thankfulness in all circumstances, in all seasons. If you want to grow in joy, then grow in thankfulness to God, and your circumstances don't have to get better for you to do that. You can be thankful and joyful in all seasons because our joy is not rooted in our changing circumstances. Our joy is rooted in the God who never changes. And so Paul could think about the saints in Philippi and be thankful and joyful because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day. And we're going to see that this church had grown significantly from that first day in Acts chapter 16. And there were some things that Paul wanted to remind them about. And he'll do that now starting with this first amazing promise that we see in verse 6. Let's read it together. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Don't we love that scripture? Amen. Paul had so much confidence in the church of Philippi. But his confidence was not just because they were an awesome group of people and you know they all got along and all had the same interests or anything like that. Paul's confidence in them was because of the Lord, because of who God is and because of what God does. God is good. Let me say that again. God is good. It is his very nature. It is his character that he is good. And if God is good, then he is perfect. And if God is perfect, then it means that he finishes what he starts. And this scripture in verse 6 is a wonderful promise that is meant to do something. For all the saints, for every believer in Jesus Christ, this promise is meant to give you the assurance that God has saved you, and that if he has saved you, then he will keep you, and if he keeps you, then he will complete you, and there will be peaks and there will be valleys throughout your walk of faith. There will be struggles in the life of following Jesus, but... but, In spite of all the good and the bad and the ugly that is in us and all around us and all of our changing circumstances and all the things that you go through, you believe that God is good and that he's faithful to finish what he starts. Do you believe that? Amen. Do you know this? 
because you've experienced this. If God has started a work in you, he's going to finish it. Some people have a hard time believing that truth for themselves. Try this. Take, take the you out of verse 6 and insert your name. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in Daniel, or whatever your name is, right? He who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, God has started something in this church just as he had started something in Philippi. He started something in me, and for the many of you that I know, he started something in you. And if I, if I don't know you yet, I want to know you. And God wants to know you, and God wants to start something in you if he hasn't already. You know, he started something in Lydia, and she went on to be with the Lord. He started something in the slave girl, and she went on to be with the Lord. He started something in the jailer, and he went on to be with the Lord, which tells us that it doesn't matter if you're wealthy like Lydia. If God starts something in you, he's going to finish it. It doesn't matter if you were demon-possessed like the slave girl. If God starts something in you, he's going to finish it. It doesn't matter if you're suicidal like the jailer was. If he started something in you, he will finish it. Because this promise doesn't rest in you. This promise rests in God. It's who God is, and it's what he does. God finishes what he starts, and if you belong to Jesus, then God will bring you home to himself. This is a great prayer for you, and also perhaps a great prayer and promise that you would want to believe over those who you know, oh, God started something in that person. I know it. He's going to finish it, even if right now it doesn't seem like it's going that direction. When will this happen? When will God complete us? Very soon. At the day of Jesus Christ. We've learned what that means in this church, the day of Jesus Christ. This is when the completion will be ultimate. So if you die or Jesus comes back again, whichever happens first, and you're found to have faith in him, Jesus will complete you. And he gives to every saint eternal resurrection life that will last for all eternity. And this is a promise for us, every Christian, to take to the bank. God is good, and he finishes what he starts. Amen. Verse 7 says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And again, Paul expresses his love for all the saints here. In this book, Paul's really going to get into his feelings. He's going to let them know his heart. He's got feelings of thankfulness. He's got feelings of joy. There's going to even be feelings of sorrow or feelings of being torn between two situations. Look, Paul had feelings. He was a person, and we all have feelings. But notice that he says, it was right for me to feel this way about you all. You know, there is right feelings and there's wrong feelings. And you can't change the fact that as a person, you're going to feel things. 
but our feelings need to come into alignment with what is true of God's word. And, and our feelings will always be elevated to a feeling of joy when we consider who God is and what he does. But look at these deeply personal words that Paul says to them. He says, I hold you in my heart. You are all partakers with me of grace. You have been with me in all seasons, he says, in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And what I want to say about this is, you know, God keeps in relationship with his people. We saw that in verse 6. But here in verse 7, Paul recognized something, which is that there is joy that comes when we keep in relationship with one another. That we stay in relationship with people until completion. See, the Philippians were Paul's people. He loved them. He'd been through stuff with them. And, you know, they were these people that just stayed at Paul's side to the end. Even when others deserted him, these people stuck with him. And it's so good and so joyful to have relationships where you stick together, even through hard seasons. I think that's why home groups is such a great way for us to be studying this together. Because this book is filled with the joy that comes through relationship. You know, there's a lot of feelings that you're going to have when you're in isolation. Feelings of loneliness. Feelings of despair. Feelings like no one cares about your situation feeling tired and aimless and, and just struggling in your own. But when you enter into relationship with people who know you and who know God, your feelings begin to change because your perspective comes into play, realizing that there are people who are going to point you to the love of Jesus Christ. Relationships are so important, especially just in the church, that we would know Jesus and we would be known by one another. And Paul felt a powerful sense of partnership with the Philippians, and he was thankful for it. Well, look with me now at verses 8 through 11, as Paul's now going to express more of his heart for these people. He says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's a lot. Paul had a way with words, didn't he? beautiful words that are expressed here. And it's really what Paul's doing. He's expressing a prayer that he's praying over these people. And we're going to just do a fast track look at what Paul is saying here. First, he says, God is my witness. Paul's telling the truth. He's not blowing smoke here. He says, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's a lot of love, isn't it? Think about the affection of Jesus Christ. That is a lot of love. But it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. See, Paul understood that God's love is inexhaustible. And just when you think that you've loved God or that you've loved people and you feel like you've sort of arrived and you got a full tank of love, there's always more. More and more we can abound in love toward God and toward one another. 
Then it says, with all knowledge and discernment, because Paul realizes that there's a right kind of love and there's a wrong kind of love. And he wants them to know the love that comes from the Father through Jesus Christ, not the love that the world has to offer. And then he says, so that you may approve what is excellent. And this is the result of having knowledge and discernment, which is that you know the things that are good that come from God, the things that are excellent. And then it says, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. This is a call to holiness, something that as Christians, we are always being called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. But where does our holiness come from? In fact, where does our excellence or our knowledge or our discernment or our love or our affection, where does this all come from? It comes by being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And so this is a prayer that Paul prayed over his people. And so if you're in a hunger, you know what I'm going to ask you to do this week? Pray this prayer over one another. And I can guarantee you something. There's something powerful about learning how to pray scripture. Because when you pray the promises of God over one another, when you pray scripture over one another, God's like, yeah, I'll do that. Because it's, it's his promises, it's his word, and God loves to fulfill those things. And so in your home groups this, way, this week, just say, Lord, I pray we would grow more and more, that we would abound more and more in love and in knowledge and discernment and, and pray that over one another and just wait and see for God to answer it in the coming weeks and months. Let's continue on into verse 12 where it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As we're reading this letter with all of its thankfulness and joy and love and prayer and all these things, we have to realize again where Paul is. He's imprisoned. He he knew what it was like to be able to exercise his right as a citizen and and he knew what it was like to, to be free, right? And, and here Paul is in prison, chained to a Roman guard every single day, uh, but he is innocent. He's there for the sake of the gospel. And, and Paul was able to, though, say things like this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, where it says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But look what he says. But the word of God is not bound. So Paul's like, you know, I'm not so different from Jesus. Being innocently charged for things. Being put here in this prison. Chained to a guard each and every day. But Paul had the perspective. You know, Paul never never saw himself as a prisoner of Rome. He always referred to himself as a prisoner of Christ because if Jesus wanted to Paul if Jesus wanted Paul to be out of prison, he would be out of prison. If Jesus wanted Paul to be in prison, he would be in prison. And to be able to trust the sovereignty of God in that way and still be thankful and joyful, what an example we find in the apostle Paul. So look at verse 13, it says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard that, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Do you know what he's saying there? Saying, I've just continued to proclaim the gospel right where I'm at. 
Each day, a member from the Imperial Guard comes in to keep watch over me, and each day I just continue to keep watch over the churches. While I am in chains, I choose to speak with boldness the good news of Jesus, and those soldiers are hearing me, and they're getting saved. So if I'm chained to a guard every day, might as well make the best of it. (laughs) The gospel's not chained. Hey, guard, do you know about Jesus Christ? Let me tell him about you, tell tell you about him. And this is just what Paul did every day. And, and, you know, we wouldn't have the books like Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians if Paul was not bound in, in prison sending letters to the churches. God is so wise. But for, verse 13 just is so awesome because it says that the whole imperial guard knew about Paul and knew about Christ. You see, those, those guards knew Paul was innocent, and you know what else they heard? They heard about how the innocent one died on a cross for sinners. They got to hear about Jesus saving Pharisees, tax collectors, fishermen, merchants, sailors, civil leaders, jailers, both Jews and Gentiles, how he saves religious people and political people, demonized people and all people. Anyone can come to Jesus Christ because Jesus will save all people, whosoever comes and believes in him. Amen? Amen. And so we come from all these different backgrounds, even the whole imperial guard, political people who were never liked by the religious people. You know, prior to Paul, knowing Jesus, he was a Pharisee. He would have despised the imperial guard. And and to be chained to them every day, that would have been so difficult. And yet, Paul was able to change his perspective, not only of his situation, but of people, that people need to be loved and they need to hear the gospel. And so who are you chained to every day who needs you to change your perspective? God, why did you put me all around these people who hate God? It's like, yeah, they may hate God, but it seems like you hate them. You know, if you're just about people versus changing your perspective, because who needs to hear the good news from you? And who's going to tell them unless you change your heart about them? Now, Paul had that attitude. He was willing to proclaim Christ to anyone, even the whole imperial guard, to proclaim Christ, to give testimony of what God has done in you, to be a witness for Jesus and to see the gospel at work in people's lives in whatever situation you're in, in whatever circumstances you have, in whatever people God has put in your life, even if you don't like them, if you open your mouth boldly to speak the good news of Jesus Christ, watch and see what happens. So verse 4, it says, most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. Man, I could say so much about this. You have to talk about it in home groups, but Jesus said the fields are ready for harvest, but the laborers are few. Are we emboldened to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we, uh, do we believe that we have the same God as Paul? That, that, that we've received the same grace as Paul, that we are all saints and we've all been given eternal life and therefore we all can speak the good news of Jesus Christ to anyone who would hear. Remember, it's not just the responsibility of the apostles to tell people about Jesus and his gospel. 
It's not just the prophets. It's not just the evangelists. It's not just the pastors and the teachers. It is that the saints are equipped for the work of ministry. Who's going to tell people about Jesus? You are. You are. I'm glad that I get to stand here and tell you about Jesus. This, this pulpit's nice and comfy and safe and I can hide behind it, you know, but whoever you're chained to every day, right? I don't feel chained to you, by the way. I, I love you guys. But when we love people and, we, and we're, we're without fear and without shame, boldly telling and testifying of the goodness of God, that's how people's lives are changed. Verse 15 through 17 um, because of time, I can't go in depth into it, but it says, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonments. What I would just say about this is that the gospel is not a competition. Even though some preachers and some churches want to make it that, it's easy even to fall into that, actually. You know, there, there is a constant war against the church and the gospel that is coming from the devil. And the devil knows that he cannot destroy the church from the outside. So you know, I know what he tries to do. He tries to destroy it from the inside. And how does he do that? He promotes selfish ambition, rivalry, envy, which we learned in the book of James, its source. That's demonic. It's demonic wisdom. Every evil thing exists when those things are there. And so if envy, strife, and division exists among us, then we know the enemy knows that he's, he's, we'll just kill ourselves. But when we realize that the gospel is not a competition and, and, and all Christians and all pastors and all churches are all putting points on the same scoreboard, that we're all working together for the defense of the gospel, not trying to defend our egos, but trying to just proclaim Jesus in a world that needs to see a church that, that loves one another because our love is found in Jesus. Amen? So verse 18, I just love Paul's perspective. Oh, to have a, a perspective shift like this. And this, this perspective comes because Paul really lived out that prayer of being loving, knowledgeable, discerning, excellent, pure, blameless, fruitful, and righteous. This perspective can be had when you actually are, are connected to Jesus in that way. He said in verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. It's like, I want people to proclaim the gospel out of goodwill. But if not, at least the gospel's being proclaimed. And Paul could pray that prayer from prison. And he prayed it with joy, and he prayed it with thankfulness to God. Amen? Let's, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. I pray that as we close in this song of worship, Lord, that we would... Incline our hearts to you, Lord, and ask that these things would be made a reality in each of our lives. God, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for all the things you're doing from, from raising up in your grace saints and, and raising up by your grace overseers and, and deacons, and you're pouring out your love and your grace upon us, and we're, we're working together 
uh, in, the, in the confirmation and the defense of the gospel that people would hear and know, Jesus, that you are a savior. Jesus, we want to be known by you. We want to be loved by you, God, and help us to experience that together in community um, as we go through the book of Philippians. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Well, we're going to close in a song of worship, so if you would stand, and, and we've also got our prayer team who will be up here at the front for anything that you need prayer for, but let's close in this final worship song.